Welcome to the Season 8 bonus episodes, Witchy Women. These episodes are in support of the world premiere of the revised Witch, the Connor and Smith musical premiering in Baltimore with Still Point Theater. Thank you for listening and joining us. We're going to do this for a couple of weeks, and then we'll move on to our Silver Bells podcast season. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, tonight Ryan and I are going to be talking about 1987's The Witches of Eastwick. So we go from The Bitches of Eastwick, which is what somebody called uh, the ladies in the craft, to The Witches of Eastwick. Ah, see? See what you did there. Um, I've always loved this movie since I was a young gay. Um, I remember it came on TV. That was the first time I saw it. Highly edited for television. But there was an ad in the TV guide with the poster of, you know, Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon and Jack Nicholson. And I was in. I just, I I cut it out and put it in my locker. I'm not joking. Or was it on my wall? I think it was on my wall. Because 87, I probably didn't. You would have been, what, nine? <clasps> yeah, some, something oh, Probably nine or ten, because if it was on TV, it would have been. It was eight. Right? No, because no, 88 would have been 10, yeah. I don't math. <laughs> um, I love this movie. I was nine, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I love it as well, but I was not allowed to watch it as a kid. Well, I mean, I don't know if I was exactly quote-unquote allowed, but yeah. I watched it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it until probably, you know, a few years later when I was at somebody's house. But I, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it till later because it was... It was the devil's work, yet again. I remember I was playing piano a lot at the time, and I wanted to learn how to play the theme. Um, By the great John Williams. Of course it was. Um, And I taught myself, because it's, you know, now if you want music, you go on your computer and you get it. But back then, you had to go to the music, to the sheet music store, Ellis Music, um, in downtown Connellsville, and find if they had it, which, remarkably obscure, they wouldn't have had that. I'm they used sure. to have sheet music at, like, a Walmart when I was growing up. Like, it was, you know, because that's how you got stuff. Yeah, I suppose maybe there was sheet music at Walmart, too, but this was, anyway, I taught myself. How to play it. Without the sheet music. Absolutely. <clears throat> nice. I did that with a lot of things. But this movie, um, there's something about the drawing of these three together as friends. And that whenever they're together, there's power. And they conjure this man, Daryl Van Horn. Um, Originally supposed to be played by Bill Murray. Oh, that that's a totally different movie. Totally different movie. I mean, I, I no, I don't know. Jack Nicholson is is pretty funny in this, but it wouldn't have been as sexy. 
really, I don't think, I think his playing at sexy is funny. But somehow, even with his gut and everything else, he can be very sexy. I can, I, mean, I, I don't know When why. he lays himself out of the bed, it is so unsexy. Um, but I think that was the point. I mean, I definitely think, I mean, this has got George Miller's sensibility written all over it. This is directed by the great George Miller. Okay, remind us who, for uh, Wisconsin. Mad Max, Babe. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, oh, which uh, I Happy Feet, um, uh, the list goes on and on. And this kind of reminded me a little bit in certain aspects of Babe, especially Babe 2, Pig in the City, which is a phenomenal film. Uh, should have made way more money than it did. Uh, it's got a cult following now. Uh, but even the ending of that compared to this is very similar. Um, the end Because uh, he brings all of the animals he met back to... Uh, the Hoggett's farm and they're all around. It's kind of the same ending with all of the kids and they're in this huge place and they all come together in the end. Um, but this is his like only second for hire gig and uh, he really didn't want Cher uh, at all. Cher was originally supposed to play the role of Jane, but she liked Alexandra better, better so she was given Alexandra and Susan Sarandon was originally supposed to be playing Alexandra. Did not find out till the day she was on set, the first day that she was playing Jane instead. Oh wow! Um, George Miller and Cher did not get along at all. And Cher probably was like, "I don't want to have to learn how to fake playing the cello." And then Susan was like, "Shit, I have to fake learning <laughs> how to play." The first day, isn't oh, it amazing? She, she was furious. She was furious. Yeah. I, ho I wonder if they all got along or not. I don't know. I know Cher and, and George Miller did not get along. I know Angelica Houston was originally supposed to she auditioned for it uh, Pam Greer auditioned for it. Daryl Hannah turned it down because of uh, moral something um, really yeah yeah wow yeah it would have been a, a completely different film and I'm sorry but does Michelle Pfeiffer uh, Sookie have the time to do anything other than take care of her six kids and be a journalist at the same I time I just, her husband had left her. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not possible, but the amount of time that he had to put in for such children is a, is a lot of time. It, it's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. And she looks great. We also have, um, I'm going to blank on her name, Veronica, Veronica Cartwright. Cartwright. Yeah. Yes. 1979 Alien. She was in the 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She was in The Bad Seed. Yes. Do you know who did the makeup for this? Who did all of the special effects? No, Rob Botton, who hmm. did the thing, um, and there was a puppet that was made for Veronica Cartwright for the puking for the puking scene that was cut because the audience just did not like it at all. Thought it was so disgusting and way over the top. But I would have loved to see it. I, I hate that that test audience for not letting us have that. Um, but I, you can even tell in the last uh, big scene with him turning into that huge. Whatever it is. Whatever it is was a Rob Botton creation, you know. I mean, uh, but yeah, but George Miller gets his sensibility in, even though it was definitely a producer-ran thing. John Peters, who did uh, off the Aliens, uh, he produced Aliens. He wanted an alien in the film. He, he, just wanted, he even brought a stuntman dressed in an alien costume one day to set and told George Miller, put him in something, anything. Because they wanted aliens. It's so weird, even though it didn't make any sense whatsoever. I think there was one scene when Cher's in the bed with the snakes. Right yeah. before she gets in bed, she goes, which one is John Peters? Um, <laughs> but anyways, this was a very uh, a tough set to be on. Uh, I think that in the beginning, George Miller said, you know, they wanted to cut the budget. So he's like, well, I, I never use my trailer anyway. I'm never in it. 
So at that point, the producer said, oh, he's a pushover. So if he asked for 50 uh, extras, they'd only give him a dozen extras. They just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And this was the last studio film that he did. Wow. Yeah. That's probably why. Yeah. And he did, yeah, he always talked about share in quotes. <laughs> so wait, it's the last studio film he did. What about the other films he did? They're non... I, I, I think... I'm talking like Hollywood studios. Um, it so was Mad all... Max Fury Road was not a Hollywood studio? No, no, not originally. It, I think it was New Line, and then they had some issues, and that, that was a that was rife with it stopping and starting. And that's George Miller's career of stopping and starting things. He was supposed to do Justice League. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. um, and then the strikes happened, and that all fell through. Um, but yeah, I love George Miller. I think he's one of our, our greats. I, I do, too. Um Huh, that's really all interesting stuff I didn't know. Um, the uh, sculptures that a share makes fertility, they're fertility. But they're all the same thing, and it just makes me go, "Would you, would you not make something else?" Well, maybe that's what her art was—was was the fertility. I guess statue. so, but it seems like a one-trick pony yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. An artist that only makes replications of the same yeah. thing over and over. I mean, this got, uh, you know. Somewhat good reviews. Uh, it did really well at the box office. It, I remember it being a, a popular thing, but my mom saw it and she does not like Jack Nicholson. Just does not like her. Oh, I love like him. him. Love um, him. And this was prior to, you know, when he did uh, Batman mm -hmm. in 89, two years later. Uh, but you get a lot of the similar uh, choices that he makes, I was noticing, uh, for this role of Daryl Van Horn. Um, which I just read he was supposed to be the devil. So I, I think that when they get together, they do have a power that the, he heard them. And so when he comes, he's he's really trying to make his power that much more. But I, I like it because they are pitted against each other, but at the same time, they come together in the end and say, we don't need this man, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, a very important message where I feel like the craft kind of you know fumbled the end of that film. I think this movie actually excels at that um but that's just you know uh, i think that's george miller's hand yet again the tennis scene <laughs> it's a great sequence it is a great sequence i have something about that too okay so industrial light and magic was originally just supposed to do like the ball that stops in midair and do all of that well they wound up doing the entire match because the ladies really did not know how to play tennis all that well so the ball they did for the entire thing most wow. of the ball is computer. Well, I mean, it would have to be in that like heated exchange where the ball's going back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Except for some close-ups, the ball was there, but yeah. And the ball that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer hits with her butt oh so gently. <laughs> um, I love that sequence. It's so fantastic. And then, of course, the first flying sequence where uh, Jane is on the cart and it goes towards the pool and then she jumps and lands on the chandelier which is so bonkers and then they start laughing and that is what makes them fly they're the not joy. they're not witches totally aware of their own abilities or power um and they they do find his like spell book or whatever and and put him through the ringer at the end with a lot of the things he's done to others um and that's a fun sequence as well. When he goes to the church, it's so disgusting. He oh, yeah. Vomiting in the aisles. and um, it, it starts in the ice cream parlor because they have the wax voodoo doll. Just the bread and fish then. Just the, <laughs> just the bread and the fish. Um, 
that makes sense. I've always wondered the choice of why he turns into some sort of thing-esque monster at the end that, that just didn't track with It was me. originally supposed to have a different ending, and there weren't supposed to be as many effects other than Jack Nicholson walking on water on the, uh, uh, the pool. Uh, but, of course, producers. And I still, like, I, yet again, it takes someone of George Miller's uh, level of filmmaking to be able to really kind of have his voice still be heard, even though he has people breathing down his neck, him not really liking the choices that were made as far as uh, some of the acting. Uh, you know, Jack Nicholson um, and him walked off the set when he they brought that alien on there, uh, and Jack Nicholson basically had kept George Miller's job for him because um, he had so so much clout. And, and it's just interesting. Jack Nicholson really stood up for directors. He stood up for George Miller. He stood up for Tim Burton when all of the producers were breathing down Tim Burton's neck for, for Batman. So, I mean, he's, I don't know. I, I, I think not only is Jack Nicholson, a, of course, legendary actor, I think that, and, and also been said to be difficult to work with, that he has these relationships with these directors. Well, the documentary on the making of The Shining. Yeah. I mean, he's he seems very method and very like uh, intense. But also, I found him in that to be protective of Shelley of Shelley Duvall very much so against Stanley Kubrick, which is I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, I just read something the other day. Everybody says Jack Nicholson is retired, but I think he's thinking about coming back and doing something. Oh, really? I thought he had... I had Alzheimer's. I heard that too. Yeah, but I would love to see him do one last. He was just at a. a... Nick's game, I think. Oh, really? That there was photos of him, and he's put Lakers on some game. weight. Lakers, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He's put on some weight, of course. Sure. But, but he was still Jack, you know. Yeah. He's got another great performance in him, I'm sure. I would love yeah, to see. I that. would love to see that. Yeah, I really would. I, you know, I always wanted him and Michael Keaton to do Batman Year One and like come back because they're supposed to be older. Yeah. And I thought that would be amazing. But that would be really cool. Never um, gonna happen. I don't know. Let's talk about like if I picture Bill Murray as this character. After I found out, I was like, "Oh, this, of course." And I think it would have been kind of like Scrooge. It's funny. I can see it. I can see. You can it. see it, can't you? Because um, Jack Nicholson, it plays the sinister aspect of it all, but he is very funny. There's that one monologue that he has. It's a very long shot when he's talking to Cher. Mm, it's a great monologue. Oh, it's a great monologue. Um, and there's a lot. It's a very sexual film. Um, it's not afraid to say things that I think a lot of mainstream films don't say. Um, so we should probably say that this is based on a book, 1984, uh, John Updike. And there were some changes made. Uh, in the book, uh, the three women uh, are left by Daryl Van Horn for a younger woman, Jenny. Uh, and uh, they are so mad that they decide they want to kill her, and she gets cancer and dies. Dark. Rough. Um, and then Daryl Van Horn, instead of coming back to them, runs off with uh, Jenny's brother, who was evidently his lover as well. So there was definitely some changes. I know there were some last names that were switched around for the women as well. Jane and Sookie, I think, have different names. Um, but yeah, no, I... I think the movie really kind of does well with the message it's trying to portray and not shying away from it. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I haven't read the John Updike book, but it sounds like the changes that were made were for the better. Were for the better. Well, 
it's it's a great last scene when he comes to the three children well that he summons the three children to the giant tv screens and they should turn the tv off um it's a great clean ending you know what i mean um and again they don't need him and they don't want him exactly um so at least there's a happy ending in that if a few people had to die along the way, <laughs> sorry, Veronica Cartwright. Yeah, I mean, and this is the height. Of, we talked about Practical Magic and the height of Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock. This is the height of Michelle Pfeiffer, the height of Cher, the height of Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of them just looking absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I mean, the transformation, knowing that Susan Sarandon didn't know she was going to play that character until the first day she was on set to see what she does insane is so good and her her uh uh sandy moment at the end uh, of you know or not the end but when she switches over after uh having slept with uh, daryl van horn like that whole change is amazing i mean it really kind of goes to show what the women are dealing with with this guy that's her boss that's just an absolute just horrible horrible man and sitting there droning on at the beginning about uh, this wonderful uh, thing of this town and people just grabbing caring, her butt, grabbing her butt, the kids falling asleep, dropping the symbol and just completely oblivious that nobody wants to hear this. Yeah. The, the, um, the other scene that speaking of her transformation, when she's when Susan Sarandon's in the grocery store and is like living her best life and sampling things. And then the women of town are like, you heard her tramp like and then she just leaves all the groceries yeah and so like the thing that the people in town get mad at them about isn't about being a witch it's just about you know sleeping around god forbid you're sex positive and are having some fun absolutely and you can see almost the jealousy on the on the the other women's faces in the grocery store it's not just the sex it's the snowy egrets (laughs) because where will they live clyde where will the snowy egrets live let's mention richard jenkins as well he was good Uh, veronica cartwright's uh, husband in this uh winds up killing her off screen thank god it's such a choice. It is such a choice. I guess he's putting her out of her misery. Well, yeah, but I think also he he made that happen. Daryl made that happen. Oh, that's an interesting. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, I always thought that he made that happen. Um, I thought he was just like I'm done with this one. Right. Yeah. No, I think it was. I think he was made to. Yeah, because they wanted to get rid of her. Remember, and so he made it happen. Um, Have another cherry. I mean, I could not believe the 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 scene with Cher when she first comes to his house and he's all of the shit that he's saying Jack Nicholson you're like how could you ever be attracted to this douche and then when they get to the bedroom her actual reaction and what she says about who he, he is was freaking spot on mm-hmm. and then she stays from him manipulating her from knowing things about her do you know what i mean it's all about a manipulation and 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 you know they promise men promise all of these things of what we're going to be but you're really just a baby maker you're really you actually create milk for them to have like that's what he thinks Mm. of women and that's i think saying a lot about men Ah, I think that's quite enough. Uh, uh, why did we do this in correlation with Witch at Still Point Theater running two more performances, thir- uh, Friday and Saturday? Um, ticket information in the podcast notes. Yeah, and if you're off on Thanksgiving and you're off on the next Friday, you might as well go see it, right? Right. But uh, 
there's no reason. This had nothing to do with the research or the writing of which. It's just another reason for us to keep talking about witches. And did you know there's a sequel book to this called the uh, Witch, uh, the Widows of Eastwick? Did not. Yeah, 2008, I believe it was. Written. Was it John Updike? Yeah, John Updike. Yeah, interesting. Wonder right? what happens. Uh, yeah, and I wonder if they'd ever do a sequel. <laughs> I mean. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is good. I, I, I like all of her subtleties with her face that she, she does. Um, but there wasn't a, a lot for her character in this movie. In this movie, I don't like that Jack Nicholson gets to be above the title. It's Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick and then The Women. I don't like that. Um, but it really, I mean, that was one of the things. He was that, one of the biggest stars on well, the planet. Well, that was what the critics always, you know, said during the time that Jack Nicholson, you know, was was great in this, and that he was the reason to come to see it. Um, and he really gives a great physical comedy performance, which I find interesting. Um, he didn't really go down that route a, a whole lot of times with with the comedy. I, I mean, as good as it gets, but he's really playing Jack Nicholson curmudgeon in this comedy setting CD. you know yeah. that uh but yeah no i i miss i miss jack nicholson i miss gene hackman that's another uh great actor that i i miss on the screen everything they do whether or not you like it or not is at least interesting i miss bruce willis oh yeah bruce willis yeah talked about him with mad about you um yeah. but yeah 1987 <laughs> the witches of eastwick i think it's a good movie i'd give it uh three stars all right yeah well there we have it and uh we're going to do an interview with uh, one of the actresses from the production of Witch tomorrow. And I think that we'll have a rap conversation the day after that and uh, call it season eight. So we're just going to like uh, talk to each other and, and rhyme? Oh, freestyle rap. The okay, whole conversation awesome. That's great. I can't Witch. wait for that. I cannot wait. It's going to be awkward. Tune in. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this Season 8 bonus episode of Witchy Women. Um, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, under Connor and Smith. Again, Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post things. We are very grateful for our Patreon support. Thank you so much for all of you who are our Patreon family. If you want to learn more about becoming a Patreon supporter, you can find the link in the podcast notes. Thanks so much for joining. Bye.